What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. Listen, for everyone, Spotify, regular podcast, all those versions, not going to waste that much time on this because, as I've said, we're done with the YouTubes. We don't do the YouTubes. But we're making a brief appearance to the YouTubes, not just to plug the fact that I'm selling off piece of this border wall that you are unaware of, but uh, for those of you guys that were longtime followers of the YouTube channels, uh, if you want video archive, you can go to Spotify or My good friend Andrew just built us an entirely new platform, an entirely new platform that's uh, decentralized, that's got all of my stuff, and we're beta testing right now. You can be a part of the beta test. If uh, you look at the uh, in the comment section right now, I provided a link, and you guys can migrate over there because we are testing the live chat features. But uh, I believe that we have decentralized, backed up every piece of my content so that, uh, you know, the tech overlords can never remove it, and... uh, We're going to do a little bit more with features and other stuff on the archive as we build it out. But right now, if you would like to take part in the live uh, test of our chat features, uh, migrate over. I think uh, everything should work, probably. I have no idea. I'm not great with tech stuff. All right, so that is it for this YouTube announcement. We are coming down from YouTube. You know what? Before we leave YouTube, we might as well plug other shit. I mean, sure, is that going to annoy the at-home listener who's like, hey, I just tuned in for the show, I've stuck with this thing, I've been listening to this thing on YouTube. Fuck those people over on the YouTubes. They've just been, they've lost sight of the show. And now you're going to take the opportunity? Well, you you guys have missed out. There's still some summer porch tour left. You guys weren't aware of that. I bet you didn't know that I was about to be in Las Vegas, that I was going to be out in Arizona. I bet you didn't know that. I bet you didn't know that I was going to be in Europe next week. I bet you didn't know I was just at Skankfest. Man, you guys have missed all sorts of stuff. I bet you're not even wearing sheath underwear anymore. Um, but listen, because I am about to leave uh, YouTube, but I do have uh, one important announcement. Just before I go, because, you know, eh, things have gotten weird out there. So I just want to, if you're planning on jihad, just make sure you practice while you're at home. Because you don't want to be out there jihading and they're like, hey, that guy, at the, wait, can you, they just stop. Everyone just stops right in their tracks. They're like, can you do that again? That didn't sound authentic. So just make sure you practice at home before you go out and jihad in the streets. And all right, we're going down from YouTube. I've already overstayed my welcome here. Migrate over, join me in the chat, and uh, goodbye. It was nice to see you. Come join the beta test or the remarkable failure of the first run of our live stream. But let's find out. Goodbye, YouTube. I'm done with you guys. Um, we're breaking up with YouTube. There you go. Goodbye. Later. Uh, all right. Now for everyone else that's uh, that's uh, that's hanging out. Um, hopefully the live stream's working. If not, you know whatever. It's the first run. We'll get it fixed. And then for everyone that just listens to the podcast and post that's completely annoyed by this, um, you know what can I tell you? Uh, all right. Let's get into it. Uh, what kind of topics I got lined up? I mean, obviously we're going to talk about the Israel stuff, but um, before we do. Before we have any conversation uh, about the uh, the Israel stuff, I do want to take a firm stance against uh, dead babies, because uh, otherwise, you know, it, it, you got to start every conversation now and let people know exactly where you stand in regards to uh, death and innocent civilians dying. If you don't, I, and by the way, if you're not emotional enough about your support for innocent civilians not being killed or dying, then that's like left open. There, everyone, every single morning. It's like the same as you used to pledge allegiance to the flag in school. You got to take to Twitter. You got to call up your relatives. You got to get on social media and you got to let everyone know your baseline is, are you a person who doesn't like the killing of civilians? 
you got to start every conversation with this and 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 you're going to have to make sure that you can you know if you're not good at displaying emotion if you're a person like me that's just got some dead face that always looks like they just came back from war unless they got some little weasley smile going well then you're going you're going to have to practice at home it's gratitudes and platitudes that's the era that we live in now if you want to ever not be harassed by other individuals for not showing enough support you always got to start every conversation by reminding people because sometimes it becomes unclear um, that, uh, you know, you, you think babies shouldn't be killed and innocent civilians shouldn't be killed. So just because of all the confusion on the Internet and the new social etiquette that we live by, that you've got to start every conversation and, you know, make sure that people are aware of these things. Uh, you know, that's why I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm relaying it right up front so we can get that out of the way. Um, now, before we uh, do talk about all the turmoil in the Middle East, because we're going to solve it right now. I know that for years you've had tribal warfare, different people going, I'm going to take over the Middle East, Ottomans, Christians, Muslims, Babylonians, Egyptians. Everyone's had their hands in the Middle East. It's been turmoil forever, tribal warfare, going all the way back to the Bible. But we're, we're going to solve it right here, right now. That's the beauty of the, uh, of the Run Your Mouth podcast. Uh, we're not arrogant, and we're not claiming that we have information that our people doesn't, don't have. But we are promising that if you stay tuned for the entire show, and it's only going to be in the last 30 seconds that we give the solution, but that's only going to be for premium members. And obviously, you're going to have to pay above what you normally do to support the sponsors. But if you want to know how you can solve the problem in the Middle East, you just got to stay tuned all the way to the end of the show, where obviously we're going to have a solution, and we're going to tell you guys, and we're going to solve the thing, because that's uh, that's why we're here. But before we get into the problem in the Middle East, um, I do want to talk about another issue, which is uh, near and dear to my heart which is, uh, can we talk about how inflation is hurting the sandwiches? Because inflation's gotten bad enough that it's, uh, it's turning me into a housewife. And, and not a good one, because now I'm cooking. I, I found myself, I, I, the diner meals, they're just getting too expensive. I'm finding myself too angry. You, you start feeling like you're going to have to fight these waitresses over plates of food that you're going to have to pay for, even though they didn't listen to your request when you told them that you didn't want cheese. It's getting out of hand. So now I'm cooking at home and I'm also, I've started doing my own laundry for a while. I got lazy and I was dropping it off, but I'm convinced that they stole like a whole chunk of my laundry. I can't prove it. I can't prove it. And luckily we just had uh, um, Skankfest, and I was able to restock on my sheath underwears. Go get yourself sheath underwear, greatest underwear that's ever graced the balls or man, promo card RYM, and get yourself 20% off because I was down. I used to have a, an old man's stockpile of, of, of sheaths and, and socks. I was, I was loaded and ready to go. And then at one point, I was like, I don't seem to have any underwear here. And I didn't shit my pants that much on porch tour. We, it got real dicey. That one time I spent a whole week on the road, I didn't shit my pants once. But that, that, that last run got a little bit dicey. A few too many days on the road. Uh, I don't know why. I, you know what I think the secret to my stomach staying in order is? It's uh, apparently donuts from Donut Delight. Because when I'm home, I'll put on weight because I don't eat as much on the road. And I do eat a fair amount of donuts. And I don't know if there's any doctors out there talking about how why donuts will settle, apparently settle your stomach. Because maybe this one I'm doing wrong. Maybe I go out on the road and I get all stressed out that I can't eat sweets because it's going to ruin my stomach. And so then I'm even more careful about what I eat. But then I'm stressed out because I'm like kicking the carbs. And that's actually forcing my system to reject the protein that I'm eating. So maybe the solution is I actually have to eat more donuts while I'm on the road. You know what, guys? I'm not eating healthy on the road anymore. 
I've just solved the problem. Maybe I'll start uh, pre-mailing myself donuts from my local donut shop to make sure that I'm never out on the road without donuts. Or, or you get one of like those, uh, like a giant pill case. You know, people travel with their pill cases. You got your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday pills. I'll, I'll get my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday donuts to make sure that uh, I, I can start taking home game poops while I'm on the road. Listen, we had real topics to discuss. I don't know how we ended up back in the window of talking about donuts and diarrhea. That is not what I had planned for this show. But I do have a gripe with the Biden administration that is a single male uh, trying to contend with this inflation out there. I do find myself being more of a housewife and I burn my clothes. I'm not a very good at, the, at, at drying clothes because I always overstuff the washer and then I'll move things over to the dryer and then it always it needs one and a half dries. If someone could just like redo the dryer for the timing of one and a half dries, which I guess would be an hour and a half because it's what always happens. It's still wet but like just a little bit wet. And you go, all right, I'll run it once more. And then you know what happens? You forget about it every single time. And then you come back and you're like, why do all of my t-shirts smell like pizza crust? But then you ignore it and you end up throwing out your clothes because they smell too much like pizza crust, but you forget that you do it. And then you blame the Asian people who are washing your clothes. They weren't Asian. They were like Israeli, I think. You know what? They probably sent my clothes over to, to Israel. We all know what these people are up to. All right, and I guess with that introduction, let's move over to talking about the situation in the Middle East, which, like I said, if you actually listen to the end of the show, obviously we're going to solve the problem. And uh, here we go. We've got in the chat, let's see what everyone's saying. We've got comments like, is this thing on? Uh, all right, I guess maybe not. I, I don't actually have the screen in front of me. I, I have a special build-out which I don't have to look at myself and I can just see the chat things. And it looks like the chat, what's coming in is one person letting me know that the video is not loading. Another person asking, what the fuck is this? You had another guy going, is this thing on? And then one last person letting me know that uh, they accidentally got their child vaccinated. So there you go. For everyone that just listens to the show on Spotify or the other locations that doesn't like hearing about the YouTube or the other features that we're trying to build out, it sounds like our uh, first our first test, but luckily we're not going to the moon, so no one died in a space shuttle, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's when you get the really advantageous test, when people are like, hey, we're going to be testing th this thing, and then it just doesn't work. In this case, you know, we ran a test, and I don't know, I guess it froze up, no harm, no foul. You got one guy who's still sitting there commenting in the live chat that he's annoyed that it's not working. Not that bad of a test, if you ask me. No one's died in a space shuttle. All right, here we go. So let's uh, let's talk about the situation going on in Israel. First is you've had uh, Zelensky, who's asking to visit in a show of solidarity, which, you know, that means Zelensky's showing up and going, maybe we can split the money. They're going to start sending it here. Maybe we can split. It. I keep turning him into Fauci. Um, so, you know. All right. Listen, we're talking above my uh, my pay grade here. This whole thing, I ain't too familiar and uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure everyone I know of my Jewish friends and all, I know people who are serving in the IDF. I know people that live out on these mountains that you hear are extremists, showed up and took it over and planted flags. I know all these individuals, and I'm sure none of them are going to appreciate the, uh, the current analysis. But why don't we start with, the, uh, with the, the, the being against killing babies thing? That seems like a good starting point because, like I said, platitudes and gratitudes. If you're going to have any conversation about these topics or anything moving forward, you got to make sure where you stand at the start of the thing of being against killing babies. And you got to be dramatic about it. 
You got to be really dramatic about the fact that you really don't like having to see dead babies in your life and that you won't stand for a world that has these kind of things in it. Because if you're not outraged enough about it, oh my God, everyone's upset with you. And uh, it turns out, you know, why couldn't you just, why couldn't they just leave it at that the, 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 the village was slaughtered? You kind of end up uh, detracting from the tragedy of the 1,200 people when you just got to push it a little bit further in claiming that the, uh, that, I, I mean, they were terrorists. And what they did was killing civilians, which included kids. That's all pretty terrible. But then when you lie and you take it one step further to say that they were beheading kids, why do you do that? Why do you got to push the story one step further from where it was? Everyone's standing around going, yeah, that's really bad, and they shouldn't have done that. But then, I don't know, some news reporter just was like, I'm really going to make the news. I know that there's already a television camera in front of me, and I'm already on the scene, and I'm already reporting on what's happening, but I'm really going to make the news. It's like someone got in her ear, and she was just on a roll. It's like when you're killing in front of a crowd, and you're just feeling the energy, and someone's saying, well, say that they got beheaded. And then, of course, they asked her about it later, and she's like, well, you know, I, 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 someone said it. I didn't see it, and kids were killed. It's like, why, why, why do you got to push this thing even further? And then, of course, Biden goes, I even saw the pictures, and then that turned out not to be true. The White House had to turn around and go, well, he didn't, you know, he, hey, listen, the guy in charge, he makes up things all the time. I don't know why he said that. Uh, and so, obviously, we all know uh, why we ended up in this uh, great baby debate, um, which is that I guess the Israelis are trying to push the barbaric story so far that the whole world will get on board with their newest foreign policy, which is, uh, can everyone turn around? That's basically the newest policy from, from, uh, from, from the Israeli government. Just, we need three days. If everyone could look the other way for three days. Everyone, everyone, just, just turn around. We need a minute here. Don't look at me. I just, I need a couple minutes here. All right, so to kind of take a look at this situation, and I guess it's easy when you're over here and you're not uh, in fear of uh, uh, Hamas people coming over the border and killing your kids uh, to say, hey, maybe we don't have to go flatten an entire village. Uh, yeah, maybe, but like I said, it's the platitudes and the gratitudes. The less skin you have in the game, the more you can stand back and just go, hey, morally, I just don't think that we should, uh, be killing innocent civilians, which of course the Israelis say, we're not killing any innocent civilians. They've got this, like, tag your it system, where they, uh, drop these leaflets from the sky, and if you get a leaflet that tells you that Israel's telling you that you shouldn't be in your home, then it's like, tag your it, now you're a human shield and the terrorists are responsible for your death and not us. And so that's, that, that's where we're at right now. And, uh, you know, like I said, you're going to have to wait all the way to the end of the show because I have a solution to what's going wrong in the Middle East. No one else does. But right here, if you actually stay to the last three minutes of this program, nobody else has a solution, but I have a solution. Um... But, all right, so just to recap, you guys have all been on Twitter. You guys have all seen everything that's happened. Um, it, you, you got Hamas broke out of their uh, the, the restraints of being, you know, barricaded into uh, 
into the Gaza Strip and they went on a killing spree and they took a whole bunch of hostages. And then you get on the Israel side where they're saying that the Palestinian people voted for Hamas. Now, as to how free those elections are or as to whether or not Netanyahu or others had involvement in the creation of Hamas. And I'm, I, th these are stated as questions. I don't, I don't know the history on these things. And I don't know how open and free the elections are. It, there is something odd about, hey, these people voted for what we view as a terrorist regime. But I guess the evil terrorists will let them vote for someone else if they would just prefer another government. That does seem a little bit cartoonish. It might be the way it works, but it seems a little bit cartoonish. The idea of, hey, these are the, the people running the show over there are the most evil terrorists ever, but it's not a dictatorship. It's that the people voted for them. Um, and then obviously you got the Israelis. They got a significant problem that prior to building walls, you know, these people, they're blowing themselves up. And it's a, it's a substantial security risk. And then you get people pointing the fingers at the Israelis and they go, well, they're only enraged and saying that they want to kill you guys because you've been doing the settlements. But then you get the people going, settlements, we, they, they, they tried to fight us first and then we ended up taking the land. And then how far back in the history are you going to go? I don't know. The whole thing gets confusing. But like I said, if you stay tuned to the end of the show, We've got, we're the only people with the solution to the problem, but you got to stay till the end of the show and we're going to reference another video and then it's just like a couple small payments and then people will pay you for the information about how you could, you know, save the Middle East because we all see how much money gets sent over there in terms of weapons, in terms of uh, aid to Iran. Uh, both sides need our weapons that they can fight each other and that we can send more aid. That's kind of the way that these things work. And if you want to know how you can insert yourself and also profit off of this situation, you just have to wait till the end of this episode where we're going to reference the other video that has the solution for everything in the Middle East. Um, but listen, if you don't have the money, I do want people to walk away with one practical solution from this broadcast, which is just make sure that you've got your platitudes and gratitudes down because if you're going to talk about any of these topics you got to start it off and make sure that you're really emotional about what Hamas did was terrible and that uh you know even if uh, babies weren't beheaded because they overstepped and they made that claim kids were still were killed and you're very upset about it and that you're concerned for the safety platitudes and gratitudes people all right on the strategic blunder side of things I think I was going to get more into like the history here um, and, you know, whether or not two state solutions. I don't know. I, I, I don't know about any of this stuff. I really don't. I just look at it. And uh, when I see uh, Israelis saying, hey, the people in there are animals and we're going to treat them like animals or they start making claims for why for some reason uh, they don't have to keep to the rules of morality and they get to target civilians. And as to why it's in the U.S. strategic interest that, you know, a war with Israel is a war with us. All of these things start getting me concerned of uh, it seems like Jewish people not playing by the rules of morality, which uh, then, you know, I'm separate from those people. But I'm like, yeah, it's going to end up reflecting poorly on me. So, you know, I'm concerned with my self-interest, the same as the, uh, the Jews over there are concerned with their self-interest. All right. So anyways, that brings us to... Uh, to the latest, which is that they are looking at a full-scale invasion of Gaza. And they're telling the million people in the north that they got to go south. I don't really know how practical telling a million people that they have to go south is. 
especially if the uh, terrorist government that you're saying is a terrorist government is also telling them that they have to stay in their homes. But as long as you dropped leaflets, then by virtue of the leaflets, they've been tagged as it and that they've been given notice. And now if they choose not to move, it's the fault of the uh, terrorist authority that rules over them. I did this is all the uh, this is also per this is perfect moral logic everybody doesn't it, uh, the, the situation kind of feels like uh, to me like a like it's a North Korea hostage situation type thing where I guess like we don't trade with North Korea on account of the uh, King Jun weasel pants uh, and I don't think that benefits any of the people that live there but we're like they got this evil dictator living over them so we we can't we can't work with these people with the evil dictator and that certainly does become true when they're crossing over borders and they're blowing themselves up and they're killing innocent civilians but uh i don't know taking the bait going in there destroying people's houses or just going listen and this is the way they like to talk we've got an objective to uproot hamas and if there's uh if there's collateral damage of people we're not tar there's a clear distinction between us and them their terrorists came over here and targeted civilians. We're going over there, and there might be collateral damage of people that we gave fair warning to that they had to abandon their homes and head south. For what period of time? To what resources that exist in the south? How exactly, like, what I'm trying to just somewhat point out here, and I think that this is the uh, strategic blunder, perhaps, of... Uh, of the leaders in the Middle East, but what do I know? You know, maybe they might be playing by different rules. They might be hoping that the other countries get provoked, they start invading, and then America and the Europeans get involved, and we got a full-scale World War III with Iran, and you end up with all those countries being bombed to smithereens, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and some of the other players going, you know what, we really like our oil sales, let the rest of these people get bombed to smithereens, and then, uh, Israel feels like it's got a hundred more years of uh, being able to live there with all of the neighboring countries having been bombed to smithereens. Um, but it seems like uh, part of the losing game here for, for, for the Israelis, maybe this is just my dumb hippie nonsense, is that amidst Twitter and being able to see and I guess get coverage, dude, you know what I've known about the Gaza Strip up until a week ago? Virtually nothing. I remembered from being in Israel that I guess there was the, uh, I always thought, I never even thought of the Gaza Strip. It was always like Ramallah and like that there were certain areas and certain roads and you had to be a little bit scary. You had to travel in, uh, in, uh, in bulletproof cars. You definitely didn't want to pull off into the wrong Arab village. There was a definite awareness of, hey, the, the people over there don't like us. And if given the opportunity, will kill you. That was definitely the feeling. Now, is that true of every single person that lives in those villages? I don't think that's true. And under different parameters, do they just want to live, work, and have normal lives? Sure, I'm sure. But I can just tell you from being out there. But I never even, like, I, maybe I just never went down south all that much that I never even was, like, all that aware of the Gaza Strip. The only thing I remember to the Gaza Strip was about, I think it was in 2006, when um, the Israeli government kicked people out of their uh homes because they wanted to give that area entirely over to was it the palestinian authority at that time i, I guess it predates hamas because then they elected hamas and i remember the story was i remember seeing the footage of israeli citizens citizens fighting the army because they didn't want to leave the territory 
And then the chatter of the uh, Arabs then coming in, or I guess not Arabs, Palestinians coming in and destroying uh, the greenhouses and other infrastructure that existed um, that they said was very lucrative and, uh, you know, that, that they had good greenhouses and waterfront property and whatnot. Anyways, ADD tangent, the point I was getting at, Gaza Strip, not something I thought about a whole bunch. And here's where I think the Israelis seem to have a losing strategy is now it's all over Twitter. Hey, is this a giant open air prison or what is going on here that these people seem to be landlocked on all sides? Now, the Israelis have got the claim that, well, this is a uh, a uh, the people there have voted for a terrorist government. And as long as they've got a terrorist government, uh, if we allow any trade or if we allow them to trade with any areas or we give them any freedom or any access, they seem to do resource grabs for then killing us. Uh, along those lines, I saw a video by uh, Vivek Ramaswamy of, and I don't know if this was, I don't know if this was true. It's by the way, and I think this is a good thing about Twitter. I know other people are coming in and they're going, listen, we can't have Twitter because things aren't validated. And I think that's actually good because it gives you a humility of that you're accumulating information and you have to keep an open mind about that things haven't been validated and so they could or cannot be true. And then you gotta start thinking of all the parameters of if it is true, if it's not true, you gotta formulate your opinions around uh, half information that's left for you to substantiate, which is better than the alternative, which is when you turn on a Fox News or a CNN and you're just getting a government or one-sided cultivated narrative. So uh, uh, amongst the two, to just go, hey, here's a scattered buckshot of information that is for you to interpret. I believe that that is the better than the here's a cultivated picture as allowed for by government or in CNN's case as uh, here, here's the information that we worked with the CIA to put together. Or in the Fox News case, hey, here's the information that we worked with the uh, warmongering deep state to put together. Well, I guess in that case, CIA, CNN, I, I don't know what teams these people play for. But the point I'm getting is that the scattered shot of information that's coming at you if you're uh, reading the newspaper and then looking at Twitter and then left to yourself to kind of sift through and decide what is or isn't accurate or to take things with a grain of salt, I think is the better of the two. Anyways. Vivek Ramaswamy, who uh, I don't know if you guys saw him on Tucker. I thought Tucker did a great piece. I thought Vivek was pretty great, except for some of the China war hawking. I thought where Vivek was particularly good was uh, he's going after Nikki Haley and others in a very fun way now where he's just calling them out and going, you guys make money off of this. You're preaching war because you make money off of this. And I also thought that Tucker had fair questions of what is all this chatter of that, you know, we have to fight them over there, so we don't have to fight them over here, and that Israel's the strategic asset. And I'd like to hear one of these uh, Warhawks actually answer those questions beyond just uh, their own chatter of, we have to do this, we have to stand with them, our greatest ally. Uh, but anyways, just to actually make one clear point, and remember, if you wait to the end of the podcast, we're going to solve the whole thing. It's just going to be a short fee on another video, and then you'll be able to sell that information to other people and make profit. Uh, Vivek did a great job of smashing Nikki Haley and others for specifically profiting off the war machine. I think that that's a great narrative to get to people, and I think it's just so fun to actually have uh, people in the political race uh, calling out other people for their ties to the deep state, the war machine, 
uh, or these uh, military t contracting companies. He also showed a video which uh, seemed to be Hamas pulling up its own water pipelines and then outfitting those exact water pipes for missiles, which is, it just seems so unbelievably, and it seemed like it was Hamas bragging about it from what I'd seen, but like I said, everything's with a grain of salt these days, and you're like, that is so overwhelmingly stupid. If you at least wanted to be able to wage war, and I guess argue that it's inhumane not to have water, or that you need other resources, it, it, I mean, that's like if they were sending canned food in, and then it, the, Hamas just poured out the canned food, and then refilled those things and made them into like homemade grenades. And you're like, well, how do I send them canned food again? They took the canned food and they turned them into into handmade grenades. And now this is we're now we're, we're back to, to to I guess the uh, the Israel side of the story. We're given the full spectrum here of uh, why everyone's wrong and just should be nice to each other because we're dumb hippies. And then once again, you wait till the end of the show and we'll uh, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll give you the solution, which then you can sell to um, other people. But back to the original point I was trying to make at the outset of this entire thing. It would seem to me at least like the Netanyahu characters uh, prefer not to have to deal with a two-state solution, maybe even uh, had something to do with Hamas against the PLO, and to the extent that they could um, go, hey, these people are uh, uh, voting for terrorists, empowering terrorists, they might be able to keep them into restrained areas, and not really ever have to contend with the difficulties of uh, people living there in not the greatest conditions. Now, I don't quite understand how Israel is responsible for the electricity and the water of these individuals. If they otherwise remove their ability to have those things and now they have to provide it, or if they're just graciously providing people that they wish didn't exist with water electricity, I don't understand how any of that works. But it does seem unworkable to me to just have a, but maybe you could argue it's no different than the way we're treating North Korea. How workable is it for all the citizens of North Korea that they're stuck with Kim Jong-un? I don't know. Are they able to leave? Or do we, does South Korea give them right of passage if they want to leave North Korea? Uh, are there other areas of the world? Are we all just hyper-focused on Israel right now? And there are other areas of the world where people are boxed in by tyrannical regime, regimes and otherwise, and, you know, people don't just let them out. And in Egypt, they're on the south, and they got these people barricaded in too. But anyways, it would seem to me like the strategy was uh, somewhat to, uh, you know, control the media, not let the story get out, and then you never really have to contend with it. But now that you've got Twitter, you don't just have Fox, you don't just have CNN, uh, firstly, from a humanitarian standpoint, I don't know how workable it is just to keep people in uh, what's being described as an open-air prison. I haven't done all my research. I'm just seeing, reading, and seeing, and reading. And then also, to be, uh, one, I think it's inhumane to be targeting civilians, even if you want to claim, oh, well, we're not doing it. It's their leaders doing it to them by uh, having them be uh, human shields, and it's just collateral damage. I think those are like, you know, being lawyerly and legally to try and pretend like you're playing any different game uh, than the terrorists, and it's wrong. And I also think that amidst uh, 
this new media landscape where as much as the EU and others are trying to wrangle control of Twitter and claiming that the misinformation is bad, which I argue is good because it forces people to realize, hey, we don't know what we don't know and everyone's lying to us and so you're kind of responsible for uh, your own thought process. You're, you're kind of responsible that you can't just show up and go, well, I'm informed because I read the New York Times and here was the cultivated information that was given to me. And so as long as I'm repeating this cultivated information, I am in the clear and I am morally right because I repeated what was cultivated and handed to me. Now we're in a different landscape where we kind of understand, all right, people are actually fighting for our attention. Israel's running ads on kids shows with like little unicorns reminding parents that 40 kids were die. So, hey, turn around and look the other way because we have to go do these terrible things. Um, the point being, I think the free landscape of Twitter makes for a better environment for all of us and that you have to actually uh, validate the information that you're seeing for one. Um, and for two, I think it makes it very difficult for Israel to play this, uh, hey, look the other way. We're, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're just doing what we have to do to protect our people. And uh, anything you're seeing is collateral damage. And Hamas is at fault for this, for uh, turning these people into um, human shields. All right. So there were a couple other articles. And then I will uh, take a look into um, the uh, comment section. But uh, this was from the Wall Street Journal. Israel seeks to wipe out Hamas. Israel's bombardment of Gaza since Saturday has killed more than 1,500 Palestinians, nearly half of whom are women and children, and has injured more than 6,600, according to the health authority there. More than a dozen health facilities have come under attack, the authority said. Most of the strips, more than 2 million residents, have no way of fleeing the enclave, which Israel and Egypt has sealed off for years. Um, and then these were articles. This was from the Wall Street Journal. X struggles to moderate posts on war, um, which was, and this is on the same topic. EU threatens to block X, must demands concrete examples of alleged disinformation. Because I do think when it comes to, and this to me is one of the white pills, is that as long as you've got free information on the internet, I don't think, uh, I think evil kind of requires zero truth because people do like truth. People like consuming truth. And so if any degree of truth is available, people will get that information. And so you need total control over the Internet, which I don't think we'll ever get. Uh, and so their newest argument is like, look at all these false posts on Twitter. And I argue back, yeah, that's why it's kind of on you to do your own homework. Twitter's live and in real time. And uh, you're going to see information that's not true. And that's better than government personally cultivating uh, a narrative for you. Iran did seem to have a bit of a blunder here where apparently U.S. blocks $6 billion in Iran oil revenue, or at least that's what they're claiming. They're claiming, uh, hey, listen, if you think that we empowered Iran by giving them this money, they actually, they fucked up because now they can't have any of that money. And then they also go, oh, yeah, Iran had nothing to do with this. They just kind of knew about it, but they didn't know the timing. And, you know, any of the equipment or sophisticated designs that you saw from Hamas, probably Iran had nothing to do with that. Because uh, obviously the uh, Biden administration doesn't look good. They're over here sending money over to Iran, and then Iran's using the funds to, uh, for uh, for terrorism within the region against our greatest strategic partner. Uh, we can't have any, because if anyone's fighting Israel, it's like they're fighting us, and we got to go fight them first. So it would be a strategic blunder if you believe that to be true, and then you're also giving over billions of dollars to Iran. Um, but now they're saying that Iran, you know, uh, won't have access to that money. 
And then you also got to wonder, just as long as we're throwing out all sorts of sporadic information, giving you a rundown of all the details of something that doesn't even make sense to me and I don't want to take a firm stance on, but remember, platitudes and gratitudes, uh, solution coming at the end. You also have, there was the talks of the big Israel-Saudi Arabia peace deal. And so you got to wonder if uh, this was actually a strategic move by Iran or Hamas to uh, get rid of that deal by forcing Israel to react in a in such a violent way towards uh arabs that saudi arabia didn't feel comfortable engaging in a peace deal or you've also got the conspiracy theory that uh netanyahu's running into problems and uh maybe it's like uh you know the people that like to say that there were intelligence failures on 9 11 or maybe even that we were uh blew up our own buildings so that we could have all sorts of war uh, you know, maybe they ignored from Egypt or ignored other things that they could have a uh, cause to start a larger war back in uh, the Middle East, uh, which hopefully this doesn't escalate. Hopefully everyone doesn't go and invade Israel and then America and the Europeans go, well, we got to go support them. And then all of a sudden we got a big ass World War Three, in which case, uh, I don't know, stock up on your oil now. Uh, all right. I think that's going to be it on, on that topic. I hope you walked away more confused than you came in. And remember, if you hang out to the end of the episode, we'll answer all your questions. Um, all right. It looks to me as I check the live chat that we will have to make some changes for the next one, but that's why, uh, that's why you experiment in real time. Uh, let's take a moment and thank our sponsors. Let's go with Yo Kratom, home of the $60 kilo. If you're into kratoms, if you're if you're all concerned about everything that's going on in the world, you want to make sure that you got your kratom stashed up before supply lines come to an absolute halt. Go to yokratom.com and stack up the only place you can get a kilo of kratom for just $60. And on that note, if you're more into the marijuana products over the age of 21, living in states where Delta uh, 9 is legal, Delta 8 is legal, I don't even remember anymore. Point is, it will get you high and you get yourself a big old bag of gummies in your freezer. So I don't know if we end up at war and all the pot farmers get recruited. To, 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 to go over there and plant weed trees for uh, to chill everyone out in the Middle East, you'll make sure that you got your weed supplies. So go stack up on your watermelon slices, throw them in your freezer, make sure that you're prepared, use promo code RYM, you get yourself 20% off, and uh, all right, that's it for that. All right, let's get into some other, uh, some other topics. We got some randoms, we got some financial information, and then we'll be back on Monday with another episode where Stephen, the Wonder Boy non-scientist, will be joining us to break down some of the chemicals that exist in our food and which of them will uh, treat you for mRNAs. All right. So anyways, oh, also this uh, Saturday night, I will be in East Rutherford, New Jersey, headlining a show, stack line, a bunch of comedians on there. Uh, come hang out. Lou Perez is on it. A bunch of others. I don't forget the names. I don't remember the names. And then tonight, I'm going to go hang out at Sam Tripoli's show, which is also in Jersey. So if you're there, I'll be uh, I'll probably be in the background with Tom Mormon getting hammered. Moving on. Pope Francis softens Vatican bans on blessing gay couples. So apparently, priests at their own discretion can bless some gay couples, um, which I don't know. That seems like a weird line that you leave it to the priest. So how does that work? So if some people show up and they're too gay... The priest is like, well, you got to go repent before the Lord. Like, I can bless some gay couples, but what you're doing here is just disgusting. But there you go. The socialist pope is, uh, you know, making changes to the Catholic faith where, uh, you know, I guess if uh, if you got enough money or if you're a good-looking enough gay couple, 
that the, the priest is uh, into what you're doing, you can now go to your church and you can get blessed. Uh, all right, this is one of my favorite quotes I've ever seen in an article ever. It just, uh, I don't know, to me this is like all the politics in the world in 2023 is uh, you got this uh, FTX uh, trial going on, your Sammy Bankman freeds. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't like this kid because, uh, we're going to get into it later, but it seems like Genesis just handed up a whole bunch of money to the, uh, to the Almeidas. And then the Almeidas were using it for all sorts of pump and dump scams, but they're pumping and dumping all wrong. They're pumping and then they're, they're selling before they're dumping. I mean, they're, 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 they're dumping before they're selling. They pump and dump themselves into oblivion. Anyways, uh, so you got this trial going on. And you got that uh, that lady who is somehow banging all of them. Dude, I guess if there's one storyline to walk away from, I guess be careful with Adderall. Be careful or hang out with more people and do more Adderall because you might end up with or in orgies with people that don't look like they belong in orgies. I mean, some people, you would think if there was like a guy with the velvet rope before, you'd be like, this isn't for you. And I say that as a favor to you. I, this is, I mean, the other people, believe me, they're in there, they're taking Viagra, they're, they're snorting and they're, they're rocketing and everything. So yeah, if you just, if you, if you want to lay down and open up your hole, someone will be interested. But for you, I don't think this is, I don't think this is the right spot for you. I, I guess these dorks were all stressed out because they're running the Ponzi scheme. Maybe that gets people to do weird things or it was, yeah, I don't know what was going on. But anyways. Let's uh, let's say uh, enough with all the nonsense. We already were all scrambled and, and uh, brained on the Israel thing. Let's stay focused on one thing, which was this quote that I appreciated, which was Ellison reportedly said, I didn't want to be dishonest, but I didn't want them to know the truth. I just I love that. It's because if they knew the truth, then they know that we stole all their money. So I don't want them to know the truth. It's not that I wanted to lie to them. It's just that we couldn't tell them the truth because then we'd all be in trouble. So it's not that I wanted to lie. I just couldn't tell them what it actually was. RFK Jr. leaves the Democratic presidential primary to run as an independent. I'm sure you folks have already seen this story, uh, but I like it. I like well, I like the concept of more independence. I think uh, if someone were to actually step forward any divide in one party will be mirrored within the other party, or at least I assume, because at the moment, it's like you kind of can't run as an independent, because if you do, you're not going to get anywhere, and you're just going to kind of cede to the other party as you divide yours. That's kind of the thought. But let's say someone were to get 25%. All right, let's just imagine for a second that the entire population voted. Let's just keep things simple. The entire population voted, not just the corpses, not just the balloting harvesting of these uh, the, the people in the old age homes, but the entire population voted. And let's say that elections got won 51% to 50 to 49%. So just to keep things simple, 50% vote for Republicans, 50% vote for Democrats, 1% swings, and that 1% will decide an election. So let's say you actually were to break the Democratic Party, that let's just say like an AOC ran as an independent, and so now all of a sudden you got your, your more extreme democratic socialists making up 25%, let's just say, of the party. And that's a clean split of the Democratic Party. Now the other 25% are your, let's call them the more moderate, less socialist Democrats. If that were to happen in the Democratic Party, I think you'd instantly see someone in the Republican Party do the same exact thing. Because you go, all right, listen, let you guys go be to the deep state thing and we'll be the more... Uh, 
moderate, you know, the more moderate Republicans. And then all of a sudden, a winning coalition becomes 26% instead of 25%. I don't know if you guys totally followed that or if I said it in the clearest possible way. So people are always like, you can't run as an independent. You're just going to let the other side win. And at this, in this case, I, I, if you're the Democrats or you're like an RFK character, do you really even prefer a Biden over a Donald Trump? I mean, think about it. If you're a Democrat right now or a traditional Democrat, do you really like a war-hungry Biden over a Donald Trump? I know there's a lot of people out there, Donald Trump is the most horrific and evil thing that's ever happened, blah, 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 blah. But if you actually believe in some of these, uh, so like if you were going to ruin, let's say the Democratic Party because they iced you out, which by the way, I don't think RFK would necessarily be taking more votes from Joe Biden than he would be taking from a Donald Trump. But let's just say as a theoretical, now's a good time to run as an independent. Because, uh, or at least on the Democratic side, because I think even if you were to ruin the Democratic Party and then force them to change for the next election so that they could be a more uh, unified party in terms of challenging the Republicans, in terms of getting rid of this current guy who's uh, pushing tech censorship, who's, uh, it seems to be getting us in all sorts of wars all over the world, doesn't want to protect our border in any capacity. Have you, have you even done anything, anything gone wrong there? This is what's exciting to me about this upcoming election. You probably got Joe Biden running against Donald Trump. And now, sadly, I think Vivek's been auditioning for the vice president role. And I think that there's a chance that maybe he gets it or maybe Donald Trump pulls a very stupid move and he goes with that loudmouth uh, Carrie Lake lady who's still claiming that she won down in Arizona, which who knows? I, people have yet to prove voter fraud. But if she does, God bless. And then I would say she's a winning VP pick. But. Not saying that I agree with every one of their stances or that I like them, but both RFK and Vivek are a noticeable improvement from a Donald Trump or a Joe Biden. They're definitely an upgrade. Not saying I'm endorsing them. Not that my endorsement means anything. Not saying I agree with them, even on most issues. But they seem younger, sharper, more reasonable, and a noticeable improvement. So... I don't know. It'd be cool if Vivek maybe ran as an independent too, and we got some more independents in this race, and we actually uh, maybe undermine the two-party system a little bit, which would also create more room for uh, the libertarians because it would create more and more space for smaller coalitions uh, to potentially win. All right, let's continue. And I'm going to stick that one. All right, always enjoy highlighting the failures of this EV nonsense movement. So I want to read a couple paragraphs here from an article in Zero Hedge, which was talking about a study about these giant windmills and what they're doing to the ocean. Because here you have, you know, these uh, people claiming global warming is going to ruin the earth. Our kids aren't going to be able to survive because we're releasing carbon into the atmosphere. And one, you can go look this one up. This was a good article from Mish Talk, which is an econ blog that I enjoy, where he was talking about how putting up these giant solar powers in the desert is actually worse for the environment because it disturbs the sand or something. And then there's like all sorts of stored carbon in that environment that ends up getting released. And so if you were concerned with carbon, that's actually a bigger release of a worser carbon. That was kind of, I might have uh, spun that into something very simple, but that was basically the storyline. Because I just always think it's funny when these 
idiots who are pretending like we're going to die because of carbon and that's better than economic growth end up doing things to try and prevent it that are actually worse for the environment. You guys can go look up that article if you're into sciencey stuff and maybe you'll be able to get the specifics on it. Uh, but that was that was basically the way I understood it was that uh, the solar panels that they're putting in the desert are actually, if you're concerned with carbon, worse than not putting up the solar panels because it disturbs the environment and ends up having the ground and trees or whatever release their stored carbons into the atmosphere. Now you got these people that are all obsessed with, hey, the burning of electricity, the burning of oil, the burning of gas, all this stuff. You got the carbons, you got your methane gases, and what we need is we need windmills, and we got to put these windmills out in the ocean. But then you got all these whales who are committing suicide. They keep just jumping right out of the ocean. They go, you're fucking me up with all these noises. I got lost. It's like listening to a GPS that's a lady passenger. I don't know what the hell is going on here. And so, you know, you get all these people and they're going, hey, you know, your stupid windmills that you're claiming are better for the environment, you're getting the whales to suicide themselves. They're not even suiciding themselves, like at least if they suicided themselves in Japan to, to people that were going to kill them for the blubber anyways, if whale wars even turned out to be a true show, I have no fucking clue. All right, let's stick to what I do know and read a couple of these paragraphs. A report just released by New England Fishermen Association summarized research they completed on offshore wind projects. Their findings are stunning. Just the geographic extent of these proposed offshore wind projects is unprecedented. According to the report, federal regulations at the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management have designated almost 10 million acres for wind farm surveys and development that is over 15,000 square miles. Not included in that allocation are the corridors where high voltage lines will have to cross the ocean floor to transfer electricity from the turbines to land-based power grids. The report found that electromagnetic fields amanting from subsea cables appear to produce birth deformities in juvenile, well, in juvenile lobsters. That's just the beginning. Ooh, talk about uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're going to have to combat electrified lobster claws that, you know, and that's just like first year of them being in the ocean and becoming electrified. Who knows what happens after 100 years of electromagnetic fields. You're going you're gonna to have electric whales eating electric eels, and who knows what's going to happen. All right. The report also found that the wind farms increase sea surface temperatures and alter upper ocean hydro, uh, hydrodynamics in ways scientists do not yet understand. You know all that shit about you're going to heat the oceans, you're going to heat the oceans? Well, apparently putting electric lines in the oceans from the windmills it heats it too and whip up sea sediment and generate high highly turbid wakes that are 30 to 150 meters wide and several kilometers in length having a major impact on primary production by phycoplankton i don't know i'm not a marine biologist which are the base of marine food chains and there's more wind turbines generate operational noise in a low frequency range with most energy concentrated between 2 and 200 hertz this frequency range overlaps with those used by fish to communicate um, spawning spatial movement. I got this thing blocking my view. You guys get the point. All right, moving on. And this is going to be uh, the last topic for today. Uh, and I guess before we do that, we'll plug PremierPharma.com. If you've got an independent doctor's office, you got yourself a pharmacy, and you want to get your patients cheaper generic medications, go to PremierPharma.com, talk to those good people over there, and you could be saving your patients a whole lot of money on their generic medications. All right, so in the broad strokes, uh, my fears with the economy 
are, and I've said it before, is that everything, instead of innovating, instead of trying to create goods and services that will create value, where you disrupt markets with new technologies and new ideas so profound, you engineer a new car that can run off 100 miles, or you engineer uh, uh, the flights that require less fuel, or seats that are somehow more comfortable. You create goods and services that are better than your competitors, and then therefore people give you money because of the innovations. Or you try and predict what people are going to need in the future, and so you allocate your capital and you realize, oh, there's uh, people are gonna, you know, the azempic thing's not gonna work out. People are gonna get back into junk food, and so I'm gonna start stockpiling Twinkies now, so that when the azempic fails, I'm there with the Twinkies that people are gonna need. I'm gonna get people the things that they want. I'm gonna make these predictions. But instead, all of capital now is a big game of, hey, can I get free money from the Fed? And can I place that money into the bubble that the Fed will create and get out of the bubble before they pop it? That's what it's all about. Do you have access to capital so you can then go swallow up some resources? And is the Fed giving other people in the same field access to capital that will also get them to go purchase things that's going to inflate things? And so you got a couple of bubbles that uh, I'm seeing or I think exist. And I can't give you all the facts, the particulars, all the things I'm talking from the gut here. Snapshots. But... I keep reading about the uh, commercial real estate bubble, which I think exists because I remember one time it was the middle of COVID and I went to this giant mall in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut to uh, go to an open mic and the giant mall was empty. So firstly, talk about a bad allocation of capital. Someone thought that malls were going to be real popular in a year. Little did they know that the government was going to lock everyone in their homes, pretend like they need to wear masks and that there's a virus that's going to kill them and everyone's going to go do online shopping. So good capitalists would have known, hey, uh, there's a risk of a virus and that owning physical stores is going to be at a loss. And so I'm going to I'm going to invest in uh, online delivery businesses because I think that's where the market's going. That would be good capitalism. But even in a perfect economy, I would have liked to have seen the math on why this luxury mall would have made sense. I looked at it. It was a giant, beautiful mall filled with your Nordstrom's, filled with your Banana Republics, filled with all your traditional higher-end stores in a market that's not particularly wealthy and you're not particularly far from a Costco or other competing stores. There are plenty of other Banana Republics in this area if you're into that kind of thing. I don't know why you needed this Nordstrom here. And I would have loved to have seen the market research because if I think of finance and people, well, what's the math of how many higher-income people are here? I, I, or I would be, or you know what I would do if I was back in my finance days, I'm in the parking lot of the next furthest Nordstrom and I'm finding out how many people are traveling from this area. I'm tracking the license plates. I'm doing some statistical research and I'm going, or how many people above a certain income threshold uh, can support a Nordstrom? Do we have that many people over this income threshold that I think that there's a demand for this in the store? And then, okay, is there not just a demand for this store? Is there a demand for an entire mall? And for like, there's a way to kind of do this kind of forecasting, and I'm just pulling this out of my ass. And just from a, like a simple snapshot of knowing my general area, I'm like, not really. I don't think this thing makes sense. 
And so now you end up with giant buildings that don't really make sense. It's because someone just decided, hey, we're going to package a whole bunch of loans together. Hey, if you want to go buy a, build a mall in a residential area, we've got the financing for it. And then all of a sudden they turn around to like every all of their partners, which are your stores that I guess take up space in this thing, and they give them loans for that thing. But now you got the problem of that we're no longer at low interest rates. So as you got to refinance all these giant build-outs that maybe made sense at low interest rates, are they going to make sense now? And then what happens in the commercial real estate market when, I don't know, how many people have moved out of cities on account of remote work? Or how many people have uh, don't show up? To, how many offices are still using like offices at the same capacity? You don't think office rents are coming down or at a lower capacity? And then what happens when, you know, all the people that own those buildings got to refinance their loans at way, at way higher rates? And then on top of all of that, what happens if you took all of these loans and then you repackaged them together like they did? And I don't know if they're doing this with commercial real estate loans. I would just assume that they did. And then you got to start writing them down. Well, then you got this giant liquidity crunch. There's all this money comes out of the market because you just assumed that you had money off of higher evaluations, but then the bubble popped because there wasn't actually that much demand to support all of it. And so all of your forecast about the future payments and the growths and the 10Xs, none of it exists. All the money gets fucking just wiped off the table and then boom, coming on down. The other one is, it would seem to me like a lot of the value in the stock market was a result of quantitative easing. It was the government making funds available to companies so that they could do two things. One, sometimes they were just doing stock buybacks. They had so much money on hand, they're just buying back their stocks. I don't even know what direct purchases the Fed was making. I just know peripherally that they were making money available. And then also with the low interest rates, how many zombie companies were just able to basically cheaply finance their debt and remain in business, where in a higher interest rate environment, they would just go belly up. On top of all of that, I do remember that the last couple times some of the that one bank went belly up, it was because um, only morons were buying bonds a couple years ago. When bonds were paying you like 1%, only morons were buying bonds. But you know who was included in the morons buying bonds? It was all of us who were going shit. There's nothing safe that I can do with my money, so I'll just hold it. But banks went, well, we can't just hold money. We have to create, we have to earn some interest. And so they just bought long-term bonds. The rest of us were smart enough to go, hey, I shouldn't buy long-term bonds because they're at one or 2%. And if the bond rates go up, I mean, if rates go up, I'm going to actually lose money in this bond, which you have to understand uh, time value money and finance a little bit. I, I, I'll give you the simple explanation. Let's go with the hundred year bond. Let's keep things real simple here because conceptually you'll understand it right away. Let's say I offer you a 100-year bond, and it's going to pay you 1% interest. You put $100 in, you're going to make $101 every single year. And 1% interest is actually the best interest rate that anybody is offering. It's just that you have to commit to holding this bond for 100 years. And you go, this is amazing. If I just hold my $100... I'm losing money to inflation. It's just sitting there. It's not earning anything. But if I buy this bond for the next 100 years, 
and it pays me the 1% interest, I'm going to have 101. And not just that, but the interest is going to compound because then it's going to be the 1% on 101. I'm making $1.1 every single year for 100 years. I'm making money. Or so you thought. Because then next year, all of a sudden, market conditions change. The Fed realizes that it can't just print money. And all of a sudden, that same company, it goes up to 10%. And now it's paying $10 a year. So if you buy a bond today, you're making 110. Next year, that goes up to 120, compounding interest for 100 years. So really, the bond that you bought that was paying you 1%, where you thought that 1% was free money, the opportunity cost, you've lost $9 a year essentially on your money. That someone else could go buy that bond and they're making $9 more every single year with compounding interest. So every single year that you're holding your bond, instead of holding the new bond, you're actually losing $9. I've locked up my money in this new offering and I make nine more dollars every single year. By locking up your money in that offering, you've missed out on the opportunity every single year to make an additional $9 with compounding interest. So now, if you wanna go sell that bond that you had bought with the 1% interest that's paying you $1 a year and everyone else has the opportunity to earn $9 a year, you're gonna to have to sell it at a loss to make up for the fact that every single year the other person's bond is paying them nine more dollars. That's how you can have a that's how you can buy a bond today that is earning you interest that you actually end up losing money on. I think I have that right. I took finance classes ten years ago. Maybe that's the simplest and easiest explanation of time value money. Or maybe that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your entire life and it makes less sense to you. You're like, I, I'm, a, I'm a financial wizard. I totally understood this concept. And after listening to you blabble about it, I have no idea what the fuck it is anymore. All right. Yet banks, they're buying up all these bonds. The rest of us aren't buying bonds. We realize, hey, I better not buy bonds because I understand enough that, listen, zero... And 1% interest rates probably aren't going to last forever. So I don't want to tie up my money into bonds. That's a bad place to have my money. But banks, for some reason, they ignore this concept and they go, well, we need to earn some interest without the knowledge and foresight that if the bank rates go up, they're going to be forced to lose money on it. But they ignore the foundational concept of all finance. And they buy the low interest rate bonds because they just need to earn. It makes no sense, but they just do it. And so banks start collapsing. And so the Fed goes, you know what? You don't have to write down those bonds. You don't, you, or I, what, what do they do? I forgot exactly what, the, but it was something along those lines where they just created some new scam that if you had these lower interest rate bonds, you didn't have to write them down so it wouldn't affect your balance sheets. It was something along those lines. The, the trickery of what they do to just go, hey, here's more free money to the banks. You're a preferred player, so nothing will ever go wrong for you. Eh, sometimes it gets complicated, but you can just understand it's just trickery. It's just trickery to pretend. But what happens, I guess, at some point as they, like, the actual losses on the books become more profound or they're forced to actually sell those assets? I don't know. Maybe the Fed just keeps coming in. But that would probably cause more inflation and then cause more increases. All right. So anyways, you got my broad strokes of uh, my grim look into the markets of just trying to predict what asset the Fed is going to inflate and trying to rate and trying to ride the wave of the Fed inflating that asset bubble. And everyone else, financial professionals, can pretend 
like there's all sorts of growth and ratios and predictions and well as long as you're an apple oh the tech companies they'll be around forever blah 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 nonsense nonsense but every once in a while i actually see an article that's in line with my point of view uh which i don't have a full it's like a it's just like little like staticky television where you're like i think this i like i think i'm on the playboy channel i think there's a tip behind it i can't tell you who's tit i can't tell you if it's a nice tip but i'm pretty sure there's a tit there because this stuff's above my pay, my pay grade. Every once in a while I read this, uh, I think it's uh, Wolf Street. Uh, every once in a while it pops up on my Google News Feed. I actually reached out to this guy. I will reach out to him again. Maybe if you're on Twitter, go let him know that you're a fan of the Run Your Mouth podcast. You'd like to see him make an appearance. But he wrote an article, and I'm going to read uh, not the full thing. You guys can go read it on your own time. But there were two paragraphs that were in line with... Uh, um, with my line of thinking and uh whenever i guess you can engage in cognitive bias and you go hey here's something i'm reading that reinforces my currently held belief why not share that with the fans of the show my take on what qt has done to stocks that's quantitative tighting bonds commercial real estate lots of bloodletting and what it will do going forward fundamentals boil down to quantitative eating or quantitative tightening tightening since 2009 now there's lots of QT globally to battle the world, the worst inflation in decades. Um, so not reading the whole article. This isn't the beginning of the article. I'm reading uh, a couple of paragraphs that I think best highlight this. You guys, I encourage you to read the full article. And hopefully, maybe down the line, enough of you can harass the author into coming on. And we can get even more insight on this. In 2018, the Fed gingerly engaged in quantitative tightening. And the S&P 500 dropped nearly 20%. So we know that works. Let me read that again. In 2018, the Fed gingerly engaged in quantitative tightening, and the S&P 500 dropped nearly 20%, so we know what we know that works. In other words, we know that quantitative tightening will lead to decreases in stock market evaluations because we've seen it happen even when there wasn't a lot of it. Now, where that might be wrong is that people always get like very excited for Fed movements. And so I, I don't remember in 2018, but it could be that people thought, oh, if they're doing some tightening, they're going to go full tightening. And so the sell-off was in anticipation of further tightening, the same as if tomorrow they go the other way on reducing rates. Everyone goes, oh, we're going to go back down to 2%. And then you get people a little bit too overly excited on what they think the Fed's going to do. But we'll just give this one, we'll, we'll take it as it stands that the proof is already in that the stock market prices will come down as it anticipates more quantitative tightening. Stock prices balloon under money printing and deflate under, under quantitative tightening that has now by now been established. This was further confirmed by another bout of that in March through July this year. In March, several regional banks collapsed, not because of their loans going bad, which was the problem during the financial crisis, but because bond prices had plunged because market yields had soared, which scared the bejesus out of the depositors who then yanked their money out, creating the biggest, fattest run on the bank ever. And the banks were history in no time, and other banks were getting lined up against the wall to be shot as well. So the Fed and the FDIC stepped in to bail out depositors, not investors. Investors got dismembered, and for the Fed, it meant throwing about $400 billion in short-term liquidity at the banking system in no time, and that $400 billion in liquidity had the effect that stocks suddenly rocketed higher. But the Fed continued shedding its securities and then drained out the liquidity and it sprayed at the banks, and this turned into the the fastest quantitative tightening ever, and by July, the show was over. In August, stocks fell, and in September, they fell a lot more. We are now skipping ahead 
to uh, basically the end of this article. Um, but prices of stocks, long-term bonds, and commercial real estate have dropped. They've dropped because there has been an epic change in the regime of monetary policies. For stocks at these still ridiculously high levels, QT is toxic. Stocks need money printing to rise from here. They got $400 billion this spring from the Fed, and stocks jumped, and then the Fed drained these $400 billion back out, and it drained another $300 billion-plus out since then, and it continues to drain liquidity and shed assets from its balance sheet, and stocks have been swooning since early August. There's a direct connection between asset prices and money printing. QE inflates asset prices, and a lot of QE for about 13 years off, and inflated stock prices beyond recognition. Even modest QT, quantitative tightening, as we have seen in 2018, caused stock prices to tank, but back then inflation was at or below the Fed's target, and it was easy for the Fed to end QT. But now there's a lot of inflation, and the whole game has changed, and all prior assumptions are out the window. And now there's a lot of QT, and so stock prices are deflating, and other asset prices are deflating. There is no magic here. There was no magic in the run-up of stock prices either. It was QE, and now there's QT. It's not magic either. Those are the fundamentals of the stock market now. QE or QT until stock prices get down to some reasonable level. When other fundamentals start playing a role again, this was the transcript of my original podcast, The Wolf Street Report. All right, go harass them. Let's see if we can get them on. Now, in terms of why you should not take stock investing advice from me in any capacity whatsoever, uh, I have said it before, I'll say it again. I have to get my money off the Gemini uh, exchange because these Winkle Vols butt-fucking brothers, uh, they've done it again. It's not me. It wasn't me. It was these other people. I got this text the other day on my phone telling me that my earn balance was now available if I click the link. Now, my earn balance is uh, I got greedy in the in all this uh, crypto th- mania where I'm sitting on my Gemini and they said, hey, if you just click this button, you can start earning interest on your crypto. And without asking any questions, I go, I like clicking buttons and I like earning interest. This is the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. I just clicked from no to yes and all of a sudden I'm going to start earning interest on my crypto. This is incredible. I think what I figured, and they call it staking or whatever the fuck else it is, I don't know. I just figured that, uh, you know, in the same way banks used to have to offer you interest, uh, in this case, if they want to, it's like the, 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 the different landscape to the cryptos and there's less people that have it. And so I guess there's more demand for borrowing in crypto. I don't know. Whatever fucking nonsense. I didn't even think. I was just like, hey, what the fuck? This is amazing. I'm going to earn 4% interest in a market with 0% interest I can get out at any time. Let's stake it all, baby. I like steak. Let's do it. That's actually an Andy, uh, well, close to an Andy Malafrina joke. Not quite. Go see Andy. He's very funny. Anyways, so I'm over there clicking buttons, thinking I'm earning interest. And then it turns around and they go, oh, we're really sorry, but we actually took all that money and we handed it off to these other people. And then these other people, they lost their money. But we really care about you and your money, so we're going to do everything we can to get it back. So the other day I got a text and it's telling me, hey, you can get your money back. We got it back. You can just go claim it by clicking this link. And I go, oh, that's, that's interesting. And so I went. I decided to go to the website to see if my money was now available, which it is not. And then I was like, whoa, let's go Google this. And then I saw it was a phishing scam. And then I started to think to myself, well, how did these people know that I had a Gemini account? That seems awfully suspicious. How did people with my phone number 
know that I specifically have a Gemini account that's supposed to be earning interest. How do they know that? That seems like uh, there must have been a data breach by the good old folks over at Gemini that they haven't notified me of because how else would somebody know that I specifically have an account with these people and have my phone number? So I sent Gemini an email going, I'm just curious to know, I was a part of this phishing scam. How did these people know that I have an earn account? Now, you could have just gone, hey, they blasted that to everyone in the entire United States of America, and so that's just random. But that's not the response that I got. Here was the response that I got. Hi there. We believe these phishing campaigns are in part the results of an incident in a third-party vendor. Same thing. Wasn't us. It's another person that we handed off your information to, vetted, handed off your information to, but they're at fault for it. No, you're at fault. If you gave my information to someone, if I give your W-9 to somebody... And that person turns out to be a scammer. I, I handed your W-9 to that person. The incident led to the collection of Gemini customer email address and partial phone numbers. Well, it wasn't a partial phone number. They had my full phone number. No Gemini account information or systems were impacted as a result of the third-party incident. And all funds and customers' account remain secure. Here's a blog post with more information on this incident. With only partial phone numbers were impacted by this incident, we believe that the threat actors use data enrichment techniques to target gemini uh, customer phone numbers these techniques involving blah 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 blah. and the point is i'm the world's biggest idiot because even after three times of the good old folks over at the gemini winklevoss butt fucking corporation of america going oh it was a third party that took your shit the third party that we vetted and trusted i still have you know most of my crypto sitting on their exchange and as everyone said not your keys not your coin but sometimes, you know, people are so good at butt-fucking their own twin brother. You go, hey, why don't you why don't you have my life savings instead? All right, that's our episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. It was a long one. Uh, we got to go back to doing these more regularly because there's, there's no reason to do an hour and a half. Just do 20 minutes every day and shout more stupid nonsense and feel more comfortable doing it. Uh, guys, end of summer porch tour. Summer's already over for everybody else, but there's one magical place that summer still exists, and that's on Summer Porch Tour. And so if you come out to Las Vegas, it's going to be a hell of a night. We've got uh, DJ Dad Shirt opening up. Fucking love those guys. I got to go see them last time I was out in Las Vegas, spinning some, Im- in some, some improvised jam electronic music. It's fucking awesome. If it was after the show, I'd probably take some Molly and just dance to it. But I encourage you. I encourage you to take some drugs and dance to it. Then I'm going to be doing a stand-up show with my friends Kyle Ruff and Tino Sanchez. Full stand-up comedy show. And then there's going to be a live podcast. And you can do all that. Bring your own beer. Eat your own sandwiches. Take your own narcotics for just $20. We don't endorse the usage of narcotics and be safe and I don't know. Whatever other things you probably have to say. Uh, Also going to be in Europe. Also, that's it for now. It's a, it's enough episode for one day, enough plugs. Uh, catch you back on Monday with Steven doing a recap of uh, all sorts of stuff. And we'll have that live stream up and running with more features coming soon. Thanks for hanging with us. Have a great weekend.